0: The Blunt Post with Vic.
1: Good morning, happy Monday, and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jarami. The editor and publisher of the Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national, regional, and local headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress, local elected officials, and other high-profile public figures. I'm here with my producer Ricky Herrera. Good morning, Ricky. How are you today? I'm good, Vic. Man, how are you? Good. Ready to uh, tackle the day and talk about uh, all that's happening in our in our world including uh, Donald Trump being indicted on 30 counts related to business fraud uh, in Manhattan. Uh, It is the first time that in U.S. history that a current or former president has been criminally charged and uh, he's expected to appear in court tomorrow.
0: Voluntarily. Sort of. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty crazy. And you could ask someone... And get an answer like, well, this doesn't surprise me. And that's the sad truth. What happens beyond this indictment? Who knows? People that have a lot of money tend to tap their way around the legal system a, l- a little more than an average person is able to do it. His daughter, former White House, she was a part of the cabinet. She had a quote saying she is pained for her father and the country. So, that quote made me think, yeah, this is probably really affecting a lot of people who, for instance, who were there on January 6th, the people that he is kind of able to puppeteer.
1: Not to mention the uh, the actual uh, nation that suffered for four years and uh, the, the ramifications of Trump's presidency that'll be with us for decades to come, uh, including but not limited to the supreme court and what he did with that so yes we we pain for the nation we pain for 4 years of fraud and corruption and a president that was uh, using his position in the white house for personal gain and his family's personal gain with his kids and uh such in positions that <laughs> they were not qualified to be so yeah uh, more will be revealed uh, we'll see how things go tomorrow and next I want to talk about this uh this new LA County uh well it's a study that shows that a, a very large sort of a big number of people left LA County in 2022 uh, is a huge exodus um in fact LA County lost. About ninety thousand people in twenty twenty two. This is according to a you know population estimate released by the U.S. Census Bureau. L.A. County is the most populous county in the nation and currently has nine point seven million people. Now I have to say that this exodus uh, of twenty twenty two was twenty percent smaller than exodus in twenty twenty one. So wow, we've had two like massive years of people leaving California. And I'm not surprised because of cost of living. You know, we, we've we had such stagnant incomes. Our federal minimum wage is really pathetic. Even the state minimum wage is not living wage. When a one-bedroom in L.A. County averages between 1700 and 2000 I don't know uh, why there wouldn't be people leaving California.
0: It's not fair. It's what this country has become. I just feel bad for people, set up their whole life here. I really try to make it, and this is the outcome. I've been reading stories about this uh, regarding New York City as well over the past couple of years. It's where we are as a nation right now, where the priorities are regarding middle class income, minimum wage. It's just something that we got to learn to live with.
1: Well, certain things we can definitely Fight for. I think some of it starts with the top, getting rid of Citizens United so we can take out as much, well, money out of uh, politics or elections as much as we can. And that way our corporations don't have such a chokehold on, on Congress, because this all kind of trickles down from there. You know, these corporations are lobbying constantly for minimum wage not to go up because their bottom line uh, goes down so you know we just gotta keep uh fighting the good fight oh and by the way so um using data from from the latest MIT living wage calculator uh, and the 50 30 20 budgeting method a company called smart asset calculated that after tax salary a single person without kids we need to earn to live comfortably 76 thousand. $710 uh in Los Angeles. So if you are a single person and have no kids, uh you would need to uh have a net income of 76710 Now that sort of means your gross salary would have to be about a hundred thousand. I think that's still lowballing it with if you just moved to LA, you need to rent a one bedroom. And you're likely going to pay between two grand to twenty five hundred unless you go up and live in Lancaster or Palmdale or, you know, the desert with insurance and medical bills and everything. uh, I think seventy six thousand is still uh, pretty low. So that's that's what we're looking at. You know, it's just uh, extraordinary that the difference between (laughs) reality and and what uh, what uh, you know, what we are told that we should be doing, or how much we should be making. So there you have it. But let's let's move back to New York. You have a you have a story about the New York Post and Twitter.
0: Yeah. So, Vic, uh, you've been a journalist for for quite a while now. How how long how long have you been? Over ten years. I think everyone listening knows um, what Twitter is and how mainstream Twitter has become over the past. Uh, I don't know. I'd say probably ten years probably since you've started. Uh, A few years back, uh, the New York Post reported on the Hunter Biden laptop scandal. It was a pretty big deal that they were banned from Twitter. And it brought up conversations about censorship. And just recently, last Thursday, the New York Post was locked out of Twitter again for reporting about Twitter. And it was a story about how Twitter Removed 5,000 Tweets. Now, I, I won't get into the minutiae. I wanted to pose a larger question uh, to you, uh, being a journalist. And Twitter is a, a private company now. They, they are not trading publicly anymore. Um, Correct. But should journalists continue to support Twitter, to use Twitter Even though they're doing this to a colleague, whether you agree with this colleague's uh, narratives and and rhetoric and stuff like that, they are the New York Post or journalists.
1: Well, here's the thing. Well, first, let's go back to uh, the history of Twitter with New York Post. I remember when Elon Musk was buying or or bought Twitter, one of the things that he talked about was how it wasn't right that New York Post had been banned due to the story on on Hunter Biden. Now I have sort of thoughts about that. I think well, Elon Musk has sort of come out a lot more uh as a as a conservative, as even a Republican. Uh so, you know, he he sort of Bring Pro releasing about Hunter Biden, whether true or not, is not a surprise there. And uh, and so you would think that that was um, you know, he would have a sort of a special awareness of the New York Post in Twitter space. Now to hear that they went ahead and, and banned them because they reported on a on a story that was not favorable to Twitter. Again, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, because despite what people claim, you know, including Elon Musk, that he's going to, you know, have a new Twitter that has more freedom of speech and people will be able, but there's no such thing. There's always censorship. There's always gatekeeping. I don't care what organization you look at. There is there's that that's going on. So, you know, as far as your question to me, I have mixed feelings about Twitter. On one hand, it is still the most widely used social media platform for journalists, politicians, and politicos. Uh, there are others that are trying to compete and such, but not have reached the kind of users and such like Twitter has. And I certainly have issues with Twitter uh, because they allow a lot of a lot of things that should not be allowed, uh, such as Azerbaijan and Turkish uh, trolls and uh, Sort of paid agents if you will well first of all most importantly threatening people on, on twitter uh, as well as disinformation propaganda harassment uh, cyberbullying, and such and a lot of times when you report these you get you get an email back saying yeah we we looked at it and they did not violate our rules <clears throat> even though some of the violations are are so obvious, I don't know how they come to that conclusion. So it's a, it's a mixed bag for me. I, I wish there was competition. I wish there were maybe two or th- at least three um such platforms so people can can choose the one that's the freest. I say freest because I don't know if one can be a hundred percent free. But uh yeah Twitter does not have the best of reputations for being fair, for being uh unbiased and uh and really, following its own
0: role. So, I just want to clarify that the Post's uh, Twitter account was later uh, reactivated, but that was after um, other news outlets and agencies with Twitter accounts were were reporting on the same thing. And when the New York Post Twitter account was deactivated uh, after the the story, they got a reply from Twitter um, when they inquired. And it was a, a smiling poop emoji. Oh, from Twitter earlier this month, Musk said uh, that the company's automatic response to reporters who inquired about these types of matters that could be an automatic response going forward.
1: And that's how they have set up that emoji is the is the setup for automatic. It's not like Twitter has a brain where it chooses which one to send. You have to someone goes in and says this emoji is the one that replies back to a journalist for this type of a concern so <laughs> that is such a half-assed answer I'm sorry <laughs> it's just
0: I think it fits Elon's personality and I think the kind of respect um he kind of shows for the field he hasn't been on the best terms with I think media in general I think he pick and chooses a lot and um, yeah of course I think it's a little bit of trolling Yeah. And when you're a billionaire, uh, one of the richest people in the world, you get to do that. Right. You get to do that. Anyways. uh, So, Vika, you got an interview um, before we go to break. Can you tell us a little bit? Yeah, I'm actually
1: very excited about this. Uh, You know, I've I've seen and and read about Yaron Weiss, who's an Israeli human rights activist. Uh, I've seen his work for many years and I'm a big fan. So I get to uh, interview him next. You know, he's, he's one of the sort of the maverick, uh, really outstanding human rights activists, uh, not just in Israel, but overall, who really has strong convic- convictions and goes against the grain. Uh, so, yeah, that's coming up next. But uh, first, let's uh, take a quick break. The Blunt Post with Vic. Yaron Weiss uh, has been uh, one of the most visible human rights activists and authors in Israel. Uh, He has staunchly defended uh, freedom, democracy, uh, human rights, and has been involved in many different causes and is well known in not just human rights circles and in the Middle East, but uh, worldwide. Good morning, Yaron. Thank you for being on The Blunt Post with Vic this morning. How are you today? Or I should say, how are you? Uh, It's evening time there in Israel right now
2: yeah good morning
1: i'm very grateful that you uh took the time to uh to be on the show and to uh be able to listen to all your wisdom we have uh, lots to talk about
2: yes uh about the Armenian agenda about the situation in israel of
1: course yeah you are definitely in the middle of it all you are you're an expert you are a an author a commentator a pundit and also a, a human rights activist so You're very well-rounded to talk about uh, some of the topics we're going to discuss. Let's first hear about what is happening in Israel. For those that may not be familiar with uh, what the uprising is about, what are the protests about, what's happening there?
2: Uh, The the new government wants to change uh, uh, the situation in Israel. Uh, They want that the government will control the the court, the high court, and uh, to make Israel sit uh, to be similar to uh, Turkey or Poland or Hungary and uh, the people of uh, su- the people who support the opposition decide that the only way to stop it is to go to the street and block uh, the major highway in in Tel Aviv and uh, made a lot of a lot of uh, demonstrations it's around millions so last uh, last week it was like uh, they stop all the traffic in Israel even uh, stopped the airport from uh, takeoff and landing, and then the, they succeeded because the prime minister decided he's going to start negotiate with the opposi- opposition and try to maybe make some changes. But I'm not optimistic. I think it just, uh, he just, he wants to make the atmosphere to become especially before the holidays. Uh, now it's going to be the Pesach Passover, and I believe that after the holiday, uh, it will continue.
1: Well, it is good to uh, good to see that Israelis take their democracy very seriously uh, and don't want to fall under some sort of an authoritarian regime like the nations that you mentioned. There are so many other ones, too. Um, yeah. Thank you for that assessment. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, you are you are just as aware about the South Caucasus uh, and what's what's been happening, especially in the last three years, Azerbaijan and Turkey's invasion of uh, the Republic of Artsakh, uh, known formerly as Nagorno-Karabakh. To some people, uh, you've been to Artsakh many times. Uh, you're familiar with uh, the geopolitics and such. Let me just first, first ask you a general question: as to what's your perspective on of what happened, you know, in 2020, uh, and then we'll go and talk about uh, the current situation in, in the Lachin corridor.
2: Which, what I understand is, they uh, found uh, opportunity to attack during the COVID, and during the COVID uh, era, and during the election in the United States. That they understood that no one was going to involve this, uh, so it was the opportunity. They planned it for a long time. And with the help of uh, allies of uh, Azerbaijan, like uh, foreigner uh, fighters and the weapon that they bought from Israel and other countries, they uh, they attack and take uh, the territories, the Armenian territories in Artsakh. I, I, I think they decide to do it after the revolution in Armenia. They found out that there is uh, a new leader who has uh, not have any experience. And maybe this is uh, the reason uh, they thought it's uh, going to be an advantage for them to attack and occupy territories from Artsakh. I also believe that uh, Russia wants to give uh, the new government in Armenia, give a lesson for them. To show them who who is uh, the superpower in the uh, in the region. So with all this superpower like Turkey and Russia and Azerbaijan, and the victim was the innocent Armenian people in the, in Armenia The victim, the five thousand uh, soldier who killed and refugees, and, and yes, this is what what's happened, right? But this is why it's happened almost three years ago.
1: Yeah, that was a very good assessment. Uh, I always tell people that uh, Armenia and Artsakh are a part of this chess game where they're not really allowed to play. Uh, the, the players are the major international powers and they're just kind of an inconvenient you know, for, for these uh, world powers who are sort of playing this Soviet-style Cold War era type war with each other. This is the Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jorami, and you are listening to my interview with Israeli author and activist, Yaron Weiss. You mentioned Israel and the the selling of weapons, which was and has been a disappointment because Israel's um, support for Azerbaijan has uh, uh, continued. Um, It's uh, very unfortunate. I never before criticized Israel until uh, a couple of months ago, even uh, for years of uh, refusal to recognize the Armenian genocide, although I've I've criticized many nations for not recognizing the genocide and uh, Israel's refusal to recognize is the most ironic because, uh, you know, Israel knows all too well what genocides are and ethnic cleansing and all of that. I mean, there are still Holocaust survivors that live there. And uh, Armenians and and Israelis, I think, have a lot in common. There's a lot of kinship. Uh, So it's been a disappointment, but I've always sort of told myself, Israel will come around once the political game is over. I was optimistic after Israel and Turkey's relationship went sour. uh, But of course, now it's Azerbaijan that Israel placates. And of course, self-interest. And it's, uh, you know, I just no longer can stay quiet. Uh, and this is after uh, many, at many different times, Israel has used the Armenian genocide issue in the Knesset to tame, if you will, Erdogan and the Turkish regime, you know, when they sort of get out of hand and and uh, sort of uh, threaten Israel, which Erdogan has done several times. but. Then we come to the invasion of Artsakh where you know, Israel sold weapons and trained Azerbaijanis how to use them and the ongoing support. I know you have a lot to say about that, um, so I'll let you sort of give us your, your take.
2: Well, uh, many years ago, we, we me and uh, other activists, including include the Armenian community, understood that uh, this kind of weapon, this is high-tech weapon, is the kind of weapon that the Armenian army cannot uh, uh, have a uh, well respond for it. And it's a kind of game changer in this region. It looked very, very dangerous. Uh, we saw it uh, for the first time we saw it, uh, we saw it in 2016 in uh, the war of April that they use uh, Israeli weapon uh, high-tech missiles and drones against uh, against army and especially against civilians. anyway, we we start to protest against it before, before before that war. For me, it's very hurt because it looks like the Israeli weapon dealer tried to convince the Azeri regime, that it's better for them to use the Israeli weapon because it's game changer. They didn't care about what, what's going, it's, it can change the life of people. Because I, 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 I believe that if Azerbaijan wouldn't have this kind of weapon, the game changer weapon, the weapon that Armenia cannot defend, maybe it, the status quo would be continue. But because this kind of weapon, they um, felt that side felt that they're um, secure to attack Armenia. The Israeli authorities and the Israeli media always said uh, this kind of relationship between Israel and Azerbaijan is a strategic relationship because Azerbaijan has a border with Iran and because Azerbaijan is a supplier of oil to Israel so this is the right the reason why israel need uh, to have a good relationship with them but for me that's just an excuse It's because uh, the people who became rich from this kind of business the weapon business is not the go- it's not just the government it's a private businessman, a lot of employees uh, in the factories in israel who involve it and they said this uh, strategic relationship uh, kind of excuse to don't show that this kind is interest of the security of Israel and not interest of money. And I think because when I seek for the uh, long term, uh, this kind of relationship of Israel with dictatorship is always finished with diplomatic disaster for Israel. I see it from the Israeli side. Israeli had a good relationship with the apartheid regime in South Africa. They sold them a kind of weapon and support them. And after the the revolution in South Africa, uh, the the new government in South Africa became kind of of, uh, criticized the Israeli government. One of the most criticized government in the world. The same with Iran. Why Iran... Uh, So hate Israel right now. There is, of course, many reasons, religious reasons. They support the Palestinians. But I think one of the major reasons is Israel uh, supports the Shah regime before uh, 1979 in Iran. And the same what's happening in Argentina. Israel supports the Argentinian regime, uh, the military regime in Argentina during the 70s when they uh, uh, killed and kidnapped thousands, 10,000 civilians, include thousands of Jewish people in Argentina. And even even the Israel government knew that many, many victims of the Argentinian regime are Jewish people. They support the, this regime. The same thing in Chile during the Augusto Pinochet uh, leadership in there. So it's always connection between the Israeli government, the Israeli weapon industry, with kind of this dictatorship as as, a citizen of Israel, as someone who wants to live in a democracy, who in a country that want to show the morality, show uh, 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 democratic values to the world, I'm very very shameful feel shame, shame sh- shameful that this is this is my government and unfortunately uh, there is a consensus in Israel about uh, supporting this kind of regime okay i, I cannot blame this uh, government because the last government was the same and now now they are the leader of the opposition i give you a few examples uh, the former uh, defense minister of Israel, now he is one of the leaders of the opposition, uh, General Bin, Benny Gantz, visited Baku just a few months ago, during the day that it uh, published uh, uh, films about how the Azeri soldiers uh, murdered Armenian prisoners. And it was, uh, I think, last September or October. Mm-hmm. Everyone around the world condemned it, and he refused to condemn uh, uh, this, uh, what's happening. And he always said that he wants to improve the military relationship with Azerbaijan. Uh, the same former uh, prime minister, now he is the leader of the opposition, Yair Lapid, just a few uh, months before he elected to be foreign minister, and after that, a uh, prime minister, uh, he said uh, when he w- will be in the leadership he will recognize the armenian genocide it was during the era that uh, there was a conflict between israel and uh, turkey so he want uh, he didn't w- wanted to uh, really recognize the armenian genocide but he want a political advantage from his supporters to use the, uh, to use the armenian trauma the armenian uh, Uh, genocide for get uh, advantage uh, by his supporters. So um, and after that, he elected to be uh, uh, foreign minister and then prime minister. He also uh, tried to improve the relationship. He sent his assistant minister of tourism to Baku to uh, negotiate with uh, the dictator Aliyev. So uh, it means that it's a kind of consensus. Everyone in Israel wants to improve uh, the relationship with Azerbaijan, Want to sell more and more and more weapons. Everyone said it's a strategic because Azerbaijan is a Muslim and Shia country. But, you know, I, uh, I know a little bit history. I don't believe it. It's Anyway, it's just about power and money. Another thing they said about the relationship between the Jewish community in Azerbaijan and uh, Azeri people during the times. But uh, we know that it's talking about the good relationship between two Jewish and Azeris from uh, the, around the history. But we know that it's not true. Jewish people was victim during the Soviet era. For a uh, Azeri aggressor, when they attack Armenian in Baku, they also attack Jewish people. We have a common friend, uh, journalist Alexander Lapshin, who uh, who arrested in Azerbaijan, and he said that uh, they uh, was anti-Semitic. Uh, uh, they uh, talk about him and behave to him uh, anti-Semitic. So I I really, really, as an Israeli, as a Jewish, afraid from this kind of relationship between Israel and Azerbaijan, because, of course, it's against our ally, Armenia, but it's also in the long term will be against Israel. I'm sure for that.
1: Thank you for that. You were very eloquent in explaining all of that. Uh, I hope people listening uh, really followed uh, what Yaron said. This is the Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with Israeli author and activist Yaron Weiss. I always go back to basics and say this. Would Israel, if the shoes were, uh, if if the roles were reversed, would the Israeli government accept... Uh, someone telling them that uh, cooperation with one of their enemies was a strategic decision for their nation and therefore it's justified that's something Israel would never accept so and yet um, but you know what can I add you you said it all you, you know you really said it all it's unfortunate yes um, Alexander Lapchin. Has talked about uh, his experience and how he was treated, you know. But I've also heard similar stories from other people. So there's there's the reality and truth, but then there's the Azerbaijani uh, propaganda and uh, disinformation uh, and just flat out lies. Um, that's unfortunate. This is the blunt post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with Israeli author and activist Yaron Weiss. Let me ask you this Yaron. Well, let's I think I know what you're going to say, but do you think there is a in the near future chance that the Armenian genocide will be recognized in Israel?
2: I I hope. I really, or maybe I'm naive, but I hope. I I I will I will never lose my uh, this kind of hope. Sure. Because I believe of the power of the people. And uh, the civilian society, they, uh, every time during the 24th of April, they're talking about the Armenian genocide and how it's shameful that Israel is not not recognized. This issue get uh, sympathetic in the Knesset in the Israeli parliament, but every time when they coming to vote about it, uh, most of them against
1: it. So it's hopeful that the city of Haifa which is one of the largest cities in Israel recognized it, and they're building a memorial, thanks to the mayor and uh, other officials there. That's that's a that's a pretty significant development.
2: Yeah, this is this is for me. It's uh, for how I I see the situation. It's a very good development because uh, in, in the past, no one wanted to talk about it in the municipal uh, er, uh, field. This conversation was just in the media and uh, during the Knesset. So uh, they were the first uh, major city who decided the Armenian genocide. And I hope that after Haifa, the third biggest city in Israel, Tel Aviv also will recognize. And uh, maybe even uh, Jerusalem, which has Armenian population in East Jerusalem. So, uh, and after the after, and maybe after them, uh, another uh, cities in Israel. There is another another uh, city suburb of Tel Aviv, name of Petah Tikva, which they have a monument uh, for the Armenian uh, uh, genocide. And uh, on uh, the next week, they're going to establish a garden by the name of uh, Charles Aznavour and in the n- nearby the monument, because he was a Romanian and, he, uh, and his family uh, were, uh, survived, uh, Israel, a Jewish family, during the uh, Holocaust. So I hope that it will, go, it will be a movement of a civilian society. And it will, maybe one day, it will make to the government and Knesset to recognize as well.
1: Yeah, I hope so too. And usually with a lot of movements it happens. Uh, sometimes it doesn't come from top down, it goes from bottom up. So smaller yeah. cities and towns recognize it and then it just has a, has a an echoing effect. Um, I appreciate that. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with Israeli author and activist, Yaron Weiss. You know, before we go, I just want to ask you to be in the solution and the situation that Armenians of Artsakh are in now, which is that for 110 days, the state of Azerbaijan has illegally blocked the only road that goes from Artsakh to Armenia or the outside world, hence essentially cutting off food, medicine, other essentials uh, from Armenians of Artsakh, 120,000 people, and uh, routinely cuts off their heat, gas, uh, electricity, internet. Essentially, this is Azerbaijan's tactic to ethnically cleanse Artsakh of its indigenous Armenian population. And despite uh, a ruling from the International Court of Justice and condemnations from many nations and agencies, uh, it's just not happening. Azerbaijan just uh, is not stopping this. In fact, uh, as usual, they're trying to change the narrative uh, and, and paint a different picture. What do you think the solution is? What do you think, what would be your advice for the for the Armenian side to do so they can sort of, um, I don't know, just just change the trajectory of this?
2: Well, I uh, visited Artsakh uh, many times before the 2020 war and three times after uh, 2020 war. And uh, near Shushi, when right now there is the blockade, the Azeri blockade, I saw the Azerbaijani soldiers. And it looks for me on the way uh, to Stepanakert a very, very dangerous situation because I understood that they can anytime Block the only road. So uh, and and this is what what Azary side trying to make ethnic cleansing to remove all the Armenian population from uh, Artsakh to Armenia and to change the reality after uh, thousands of years of Armenian population in Artsakh uh, to to clean Artsakh from Armenian people. I hope the only solution which I believe is the job that what you are doing and what we are trying to do in Israel and the very good job that what you are doing is to to wake up the international community and especially European Union and in the European Union, especially France, who will send military forces to the corridor to replace the Russian, maybe. And right now, I I know that the Russia want to stay there because they want to control uh, the Caucasus region. And for them, it was a present that they was invited by the Azeri and the Armenian side to be, to be the peacekeeper, so called. But right right now, it's a p- opportunity for the Western forces to come and to try to be there in the military forces. And this is what we uh, should we, the international community and the Armenian diaspora should to ask that okay, to be we have to be diplomatic, not to not ask to remove the Russian soldiers, but ask to invite another foreigner armies, forces, especially, French forces or other NATO members, not of course not Turkey, but uh, France is a very good ally of Armenia to be in the Lashin corridor and uh, to be in the, even even uh, in Stepanakert and other uh, territories to, of Artsakh, and, and this is, I believe, the the only way who helps the Armenian population to survive there because uh, right now it's a very, very bad situation. i talking with my friends there. People are really, really in a bad situation. And we need, it's, it's kind of emergency. We need all what we can to organize it. I, I try to organize demonstration in Israel. I, I know it wouldn't help, but maybe, you know, it's it will have to wake up the other uh, armenian community around the world maybe to make a demonstration as well and and maybe maybe uh, it will be kind of miracle and you know over the history it was uh, Armenia knows know in the history very very bad uh, situation and they always uh, succeed to start again to recover. And right, I, yeah. I believe, I believe the Armenian spirit, I believe the Armenian spirit, and I believe that the good side, the honest people of Artsakh, my friend, I, I call them even my family, they finally, they will win, they will survive, and Artsakh will be always Armenian. I really believe it.
1: That That's beautiful. I think we should end it there as we all need to hear positive things, and you said it beautifully. Your own, thank you. Thank you for your sophisticated thought, your analysis, your activism. You're definitely uh, an ally of the Armenian community, but more so with the world community, people who are oppressed. Doesn't matter what their nationality is. We need more people like you. Um, truly appreciate it. Yeah, let's fight the good fight and uh, chat again soon.
2: Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, my friend, Vic.
1: Well, that was my interview with Yaron Weiss. Uh, Yaron, thank you so much for being on The Blunt Post with Vic uh, this morning. I really appreciate your time, especially from Israel, where we have a, a major time difference. And I hope to chat with you again soon. Before we go, I'd like to thank my producer, Ricky Herrera, without whom this show would not be possible, and KPFK, the station that brings you unfiltered and commercial-free news, opinion, and hopefully some inspiration. Thank you for joining me today on The Blunt Post with Vic. For more information, please visit thebluntpost.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at VicGerami, at V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. Thank you. The
2: Blunt Post with Vic.